0: If you remember, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and and to get to that in your Bible, you just go ahead, open up to the middle, that should put you in about the book of Psalms, turn to the right, you'll hit Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Uh, Take the time to get there, it is worth following along as we read it. Um, One of the things, as we uh, work through the Word of God, we don't want you just to sit back and listen, although there's much value in that, Uh, but it's a wonderful thing to be able to look at the text, and, and follow along, and see for yourself the things we're looking at. Um, so anyway, we are finishing up chapter 9, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 10 today uh, as well. And uh, this week, when I first really started working on, on working through the text and starting to understand it, it just seemed um, scattered to me in some regard, and, and, and you'll see that a bit. And so I went and I opened up the, the commentary from a, a guy named Sidney uh, Gredenis, um, and and what he had to say was certainly less than encouraging. His very first line in that, uh, on this passage says, of all the passages in Ecclesiastes, this one is probably the most difficult to interpret and preach. Um, and then I cl- crawled under my, my desk and just cried. Um, <clears throat> but really, it's a, it is a wonderful passage, just like everything. It's one of those things when you first see it, uh, it's a little overwhelming, but really a beautiful passage. And, and you just kind of get this feeling as you're going through this that maybe, maybe King Solomon drank like six cups of coffee and then just gusted about how important wisdom is. And so you might kind of get the feel as we work through this text of that same thing today. Um, So anyway, there is a unified purpose here of what's happening here. And I hope really to show you this afternoon that that wisdom is stronger than foolishness. And as a result, we should be seeking God-given wisdom and living with God-given wisdom, putting it into practice. And so we're going to see this in three areas. One, politics. Uh, yes, government-type politics, but also um, family politics, uh, office politics, any place you might experience politics. Uh, daily living in the way that we live out with wisdom, and um, both in our actions and also in our, our words, the way we communicate wisely. Uh, and so we're going to start Ecclesiastes 9, chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going to read through 10-4 for our first section. Um, I have seen this. Example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of, of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, protect us from the temptation to, to merely see the foolishness of others. And we ask that you protect us so that we might better evaluate our own hearts. Uh, make us deeply aware that. We're all very capable of being ruled by folly in our hearts. And so Lord, we ask that you would direct us to your word, to learn wisdom, uh, and to your lordship over our lives so that we might put that wisdom into actual practice, even when we find ourselves under the authority of, of foolish individuals. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Before we even began this, this series in Ecclesiastes, I was with uh, Tim Durrett and our boys down at the the uh, cosmosphere in Hutchinson, Kansas. I've told you about it before, it's great. It's got all this NASA stuff. Uh, and, and part of it is set up as this, this timeline of, of space flights or whatever you actually call that uh, Space Flight Museum. Uh, and as you walk into this, there's this, this picture from a distance um, that you see. There's this black and white photo of, of Adolf Hitler. Uh, and he's sweaty and his hair is messy Uh, and there's this real anxious red light kind of glowing on him, and and written on the photo is this single line of scripture, and it kind of caught me off guard to say, wait, that scripture, what does it say? Why is this on Hitler? Um, And what it was is from the text we're looking at today. It's Ecclesiastes 9.18, which says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And as we worked our way through the rest of that, it started to make a lot of sense, or really everything I knew before it made sense. Um, And we see this, you know, Hitler is this ultimate example of that, that one sinner destroying much good. Um, And so I think it's easy for us to really look at other people, but I want us to to step back and really ask this question, you know, um, do we always use God-given wisdom? I know I don't. Um, See, all of us who are called to lead in any capacity, as, as elders, as mothers, as fathers, as teachers, managers, captains, bosses, coaches, friends, uh, all of us, we, we need the grace of, of Christ for moments of folly in our lives. And, and, and so this text today, though, is, is really going to be about us, us knowing wisdom um, and valuing wisdom. And, and that really comes back around to us choosing wisdom in our lives. Solomon begins by giving an example. It's a, he tells a story about a, a city and a king. One city is, is small, the city is small, and, and has very few men to protect it. And the mighty king surrounds the city with, with his, his men, many men, uh, and really that's to cut off the supplies, and the plan is to conquer the city. Uh, as we read that, the expectation is that this great king will destroy this little city. That's what we expect to happen, and yet in the little city is a poor wise man, and he thinks up a wise plan, and that plan, by that plan, he actually saves the little city. See, so we don't know what the plan is. At no point in this does it mention what the plan is. And, and that's not the point. Uh, we only know that it worked, that wisdom defeated might in this case. Uh, and twice in that text, it refers to him as a, a poor man. And, and really, the point of that is so that we know that he didn't have financial resources to lean on. Uh, that it was simply his wisdom which delivered the city from this powerful king. You know, as you you read this, you come to kind of expect that as a result, this man is going to be a a hero. That Maybe they'll build a statue outside of him. Uh, For sure, every single year, they're going to have the the poor wise man parade, and everyone will go down and celebrate this history of this. Uh, And yet what we learn is that nobody remembered him. Uh, The poor man goes absolutely forgotten. Now the other thing about this story to understand is that It isn't a story telling us how we ought to do something. It's really a story telling us the way things are. It's reflecting on us the reality of the world. And what we learn is that despite wisdom being powerful enough to save the city, it's still not highly valued. It's not appreciated. Um, Not in the way that that riches and, and strength are valued. And so the man is forgotten. And and the question that I really think we should be asking ourselves about this point is, is do we value wisdom in the way we ought to? Is that our standard? In verse 17, we read, The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than shouting of a ruler among fools. Shouting fools tend to get the attention, um, despite really having nothing to say. And and unfortunately, most of the wise comments go absolutely unheard. If you've ever been in a meeting in a room... um, Most of the wise advice, or often the wise advice, is is from someone who stays silent, uh, someone who doesn't speak up. In fact, next time you're in that situation, i encourage you, the person sitting there absolutely silent, ask their opinion. Uh, You'll be shocked at some of the stuff you end up receiving from that. And then verse 18, as we saw before, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So the first portion of this is likely a, a proverb, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. It's like our our saying in our our culture, you know, brains are better than brawn. Uh, The second half builds on that proverb, and and I want you to notice the small number one um, being contrasted in in the other part of it, destroying the large number of much. And and I mentioned Hitler before. That's huge and obvious to us all, but, but think about this on a smaller scale as well. How often are a group of people led astray by one absolute fool? One person who who pushes the wisdom of of God and scripture aside and really follows after their own heart, their own understanding. Uh, He then gives a series of illustrations starting in chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, He says, One fly in the perfume makes the whole batch stink. Similar to our cultural saying, One rotten apple spoils the whole bunch. Um, I remember hearing it. Maybe you did. Uh, the city of Portland, though, actually, this time last year, experienced this uh, in a very real way. There was a 19-year-old man who was caught on video uh, urinating in the water system, like the clean water that was going to go to your sink, ta- your tap water. Um, and, and this one guy ruined 38,000 gallons of water, which had to be flushed and re- replaced. It cost the city $35,000 to do that. Uh, This this Portland city official responded to this when asked about it, and you can tell he's irate by the way he says this. He says, it's stupid. You can see the sign that says, this is your drinking water. Don't spit, throw, or toss anything in it. He's four feet away from that sign. Unless he's from North Dakota and just moved here, he's got to know this this is our drinking water. So in Portland, one sinner destroys much good. Good. He goes on in verse 2 then to say, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. You can imagine how this might be used in American politics. Um, It has nothing to do with right-wing or left-wing politics. Uh, In fact, in in Israel, it's very different. In Israel, the the right hand was a sign of power. Uh, And so the right was a symbol of of moral goodness and favor. And and really, that's why it was an honor, was to sit at the right hand of of a king or any other noble. And, uh, and the left king on the or left hand on the other side was a symbol of incompetence and even evil. And you start to have those two things. In fact, Matthew 25, uh, 30, verse 33, Jesus uses this same in- image as he's speaking about the sorting of, of people. He's pointing to the end of days, um, and, and he's speaking of some as, as sheep, uh, and these sheep sit at his right hand. And then he speaks of some as, as goats, that is unbelievers, and they sit at his left hand. And so we see this image again. Uh, here we're seeing, in our text, we're seeing wise people that uh, they generally make wise choices, and foolish people generally make foolish choices. Kind of simple. Uh, verse 3 further explains that you can tell a fool even as he walks down the road. Uh, road a fool cannot hide their foolishness, not for long. Um, today, in fact, Facebook and Twitter make it even easier for us to exercise our foolishness for the masses to observe and see. Uh, just as Proverbs 12, 23 tells us, the heart of the fool proclaims folly. That's what you expect. Uh, verse 4 is easy to understand, difficult to put into practice. When you feel anger towards someone in power, perhaps um, your boss it's saying, don't respond in anger, but stay, stay calm. Uh, again, Proverbs speaks to the same idea. Proverbs 15:1 we read, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, So what we've seen is that we should learn to value wisdom over strength and that uh, even a little foolishness destroys a good thing. Uh, Verses 5 through 11, then, it's going to be this this idea of of wisdom being put into action. Uh, Follow along. We'll read just 5 through 7 to start. It says, There is an evil evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. See, sometimes our, our leaders are foolish. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet. Um, one of the best examples I've seen of this is uh, in, in Lajitas, Texas, for many years, uh, they had elected a ma- uh, someone named Clay Henry III to be their mayor. Uh, what was significant about this was that Clay Henry III wasn't a man at all. Uh, he was a beer-drinking goat. And he kept getting elected over and over and over again, uh, so he was actually an elected official, and as and people often speak of this, they're, they're always surprised because uh, it always becomes this comparison that, you know, the world has seen leaders who are much more foolish than Clay Henry III uh, out in Lajitas, who's a goat drinking beer. Uh, and so in our text, we see that the, the highest ranking official has given leadership positions to fools, um, when this happens, typically it's a uh, leaders looking for people who will support their ideas, uh, their plans, which in this case are also foolish. Uh, the examples in 6 and 7 might sound offensive at first, and, and I think it, I mean, it should sound offensive to us at first, because we, we like stories where the rich serve in lowly places, and, and when slaves are freed and given places of honor, and so when we read this, it, it just seems strange and offensive to us, but uh, we've got to be cautious when reading this. Um, We must read it according to the culture of of ancient Israel, not according to modern America. First, in regards to the rich, uh, at times in wisdom literature, um, which is what Ecclesiastes is is the genre of, uh, it speaks negatively of being rich. Uh, Proverbs 28 is an example of this. 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Uh, In other places within wisdom literature, uh, we see that, that wealth and, and is a blessing of, of hard work. Uh, we see that in Proverbs 21.5, which says, The plan of the diligent leads surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And so both wealth and poverty um, present us with blessings and challenging to live faithful lives. Uh, we tend to want to make this one as always the same. Uh, But also, and more importantly even, I want you to notice here this contrast in verse 6. It's not between rich and poor. As you read that and you think back, you seem to think that's what it is. But it's not between rich and poor. It's between the rich and a foolish person. That's what's being contrasted here. See, the word rich here is not so much a statement about possessions, but a reference to to someone whose character is that of being diligent, faithful, and, and wise. It's a positive thing. Uh, notice also the, this term slave in verse 7. Um, it's not contrasted with freed people, but it's being contrasted with a prince. And Proverbs 19.10 shares almost this exact same statement. It says, it's not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princess. And, and so again, remember the culture that this is being written into. Um, this term slave here is not the same as the evil treatment that we've seen in our own history, in American history, but it's referring to those who have been made, made so because of crimes, uh, because of great debt, or because they were captured as prisoners of, of war, um, which does not justify slavery in any, by any means, but <clears throat> it carries a point, and the point is this, that, that a convicted criminal, poor financial management, an enemy of the state, those are not qualities that we hope to see on the resume of someone who's going to be leading our government. All right, so let's look at verses 8 through 11. Um, Follow along, it says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and the one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent, serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So you can see he's about four cups of coffee at this point, um, just going. It's this strange series of illustrations, uh, and he's trying to get this idea of this is what happens when we are not wise, when we are not careful, when we shun wisdom. And the first thing he says is when we dig a pit. Uh, the idea is you dig a pit, you cover it, you forget where it is, and you foolishly walk back in and fall into your own pit. Uh, The second one, they had these short walls that they would build to make boundaries. Uh, There's actually one in Travis's backyard, not too much unlike it. Uh, And and the idea was when they would go and take these back apart, it was a place snakes could be, so you had to do it very cautiously and look out for snakes. Um, If you're gathering stones on a hillside, you pull one out, they all tumble on you, that can be dangerous. Uh, And if you're chopping logs, shards fly up in your eyes, something of that nature, uh, maybe the axe itself is the problem. Uh, whatever it is, without being cautious, there's a lot of danger to be had there. And, and then in verse 10, the point is that wisdom often takes planning. Uh, and it might take some time to actually set it up right. His example here is, a, is an axe. Uh, an axe will cut wood much easier if it has been sharpened. Um, much easier than a dull axe. And, and wisdom teaches us to do it the right way, even if that slows down the process. See, uh, in our house we have a drill, or what I actually call an electric screwdriver. And uh, it's one of the old ones. An old neighbor gave it to us. So it has a cord on it. And people make fun of me for having a corded screwdriver anyway. Uh, <clears throat> there are times when I am just being lazy and foolish, and there is some project to be done. And so I get out the hand screwdriver uh, and I just go about doing it that way. Uh, and usually about halfway in, I realize this was a really foolish, stupid decision. Uh, I would be done by now if I just got an extension cord and done this the right way. Um, But that's it, it's laziness, it's foolishness. And and that's the the same reason actually that many of you are working through college right now. It's setting things up the way you wanna go. It's the the reason people learn a skill that takes a long time to acquire. It's the the reason some people train their dogs to obey. Yes, it's a pain at the beginning to set this up the right way but it will make life or whatever you're trying to do much easier in the long run. Uh, And so be wise. Take time to, to sharpen your axe, or as our modern proverb states, work smarter, not harder. Verse 11 speaks of a snake charmer. Sounds bizarre. This is an actual profession of the time. Uh, it was not thought of as strange as you and I seem to think of it. Uh, what they would do to actually do this is they would take a snake, even a poisonous snake, and they would get it to bite hard objects on uh, the snake and would learn, you know what, it hurts to bite these hard objects. And so they'd be less inclined. To actually bite at this point. And, and then the rest of what they did was to, to calm the snake, to, to charm it, or really just calm the snake by using movements and slow, slow, uh, slow movements and stuff. And, and so his point is this, is that it's of no use if the charmer doesn't know how to rightly handle this dangerous snake and in the end gets, gets bit, right? A dead charmer is really no use. Um, and so what he wants us to see is, is the way this translates into our understanding of leaders is that um, we don't want to have leaders who don't know how to handle dangerous situations. Because when that happens, um, then our, our leaders and our community get bit. And, and then there's no value in having this charmer or this leader, if that makes sense. Um, and so really what we need are our people in charge to understand the dangers we're going to face. So we've seen that wisdom is more valuable than strength and that a little foolishness ruins much good. Uh, We've seen that wisdom in our actions is of great value. And, And now in chapter 10, verses 12 through 20, we see how wisdom applies to our speech, the words, something we do all the time. First he says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. But The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiply of words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? In some regard, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's typical. The, the foolish who, who go on and on and on saying crazier things and crazier things as they go, one lie to cover up another lie. Uh, This prideful certainty of of something uh, in the future, something that we don't know, uh, of really topics they know nothing about. And and our text says, by the time they stop speaking, what what they've said is evil madness. Verse 14 is a little more specific. It's the picture of someone telling you what will happen in the future. You know, we pridefully think uh, that we know what the future holds. We don't. We know Jesus wins. We don't know all the details of it. It's it's why in the New Testament, in the book of James, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 and 15, Christians are being taught how to speak about the future. And he writes this. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. See, there's wisdom, even in that confession uh, that we make, that we say, I don't know what the future holds, but I trust that God does. See, all in all, we we see in this portion of our text something that every generation alive today desperately needs to learn. Um, I know myself, I need to learn this. And that's this, that there is wisdom in silence. In listening and asking questions instead of talking uh, ad nauseum, which is just a Latin phrase that means "until you throw up," it 's similar to what Mark Twain and, and Abraham Lincoln, maybe one of them anyway, uh, once said, no one knows for sure, uh, "Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all debt, uh, all doubt rather and, and really. It doesn't matter which one of them said it, because they ripped it off from scripture to begin with. Proverbs 17:28 says, "Even a fool who keeps silence is considered wise; when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent." So there you go, Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln plagiarized. Uh, verse 15 in our text says, "The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city." This is basically an insult uh, on par with one of those "you're so dumb" jokes you've probably heard at some point in your life. Um, you're so dumb that you got locked up in a grocery store and starved, uh, or you're so dumb that you failed a survey. This is Solomon's thing. Basically, Solomon is, uh, you're so foolish, you don't even know the way to the city. Uh, Here's the thing, when you live in an era when everything is walking there, um, walking distance from a city, it would be this easy just to look up, see the city, and walk to it. That's how you got directions there. Uh, and so it takes someone to be incredibly stupid to not be able to get to the city in that stage. Uh, verse 16 and 17 contrast people under a wise leader with those under a foolish leader. It reads, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince, <clears throat> prince's feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. See, the child king is shown to be a fool because the princes that he has put in this positions of leadership uh, are indulgent. They're self-serving. They're doing what they want to do for themselves. And and the contrast here, the son of nobility has put people in positions that that are eating at the right time. They're doing things by the proper way um, with the concern of the people in mind. Verses 18 confirms that laziness is also a form of foolishness. Uh, it says, the, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through in, indolence, <clears throat> uh, the house leaks. See, the roofs were flat, and they were made with a uh, substance lime called lime, uh, which would crack and create leaks, so the water would come in. And the only way to prevent this was uh, a number of upkeep. They had to actually keep doing stuff on this house. Uh, some homeowners, though, were so lazy that they wouldn't do any maintenance, and the leaks would come in, and they wouldn't care. And, and eventually, this roof would just cave in. Uh, there's actually houses in town that look like the same thing happening to him. And, and what he wants us to learn here is that being lazy is indeed foolish. Uh, and so be willing to do the hard work now to avoid the bigger problems later. Verse 19 is most likely a line from a drinking song. I know that sounds strange at first. It's the kind of thing you might find sung in The Pranching Pony. Uh, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. See, it's not a statement about satisfaction, though. Uh, It's more of an observation that that money has power, and and often money is used to gain uh, the fool favor. We often hear how money has been used to to push political agendas, to get fools in office who will do the will of other fools. Um, It's a shame. It's part of what we we know to be true, but uh, it is a shame. As we find ourselves in very areas of life under under leaderships of fools, then verse 20 becomes this important warning to us. It says... Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature to tell the matter. See, it's a warning that what you say about people will often get back to them, so be careful about what you say. And it's particularly in in regards to our leaders. And and when we are under foolish leadership, that temptation is to just absolutely complain about that leadership Uh, we want to complain about bosses and co-workers and parents and elders and politicians and teachers whoever it might be and the advice here honestly we tend to hate because he says don't do it not only don't do it but don't even do it in the privacy of your thoughts or your bedroom why why and he gives this reason, because when that gets back to the foolish leader over you, it's going to make your life difficult. There will be consequences for this. You see, it's a, it's a foolish thing for us to complain in this way. I find it ironic, in fact, that, that he speaks of a bird of the air carrying what we say to people who can make our life difficult. I- ironic, because how many people at this point in history have lost their jobs because of something they put on Twitter which of course has as its logo a little bird and carries what you say through the air. <laughs> you know one moment of frustration and there it is stuck forever um, to be heard by people who have power to to harm you. And, and so praise God that we live in a country where we have freedom of speech. Uh, that is a wonderful thing but we also need to be wise to understand that there is still consequences for the words that come out of our mouth. And so we must learn to be wise with our words. We must learn when, when silence is actually the best course of action, and that's very difficult to learn. And so at this point, we've seen that a little foolishness spoils much good. We've seen that uh, the need for wisdom in actions. We've seen the need for, for wisdom in the way that we speak and, and wisdom in the way that we often stay silent uh, despite what we desire, and and now the question of how do we put this into practice is a strange text. He seems all over the board. The overarching theme is the need for wisdom. Um, first, value wisdom. I know that sounds silly at first, but really, value wisdom, uh, particularly godly wisdom. In other words, ask yourselves: so In what areas of my life am I intentionally or unintentionally, intentionally valuing folly? foolishness over wisdom. Um, Are there situations in your life where you need to choose wisdom even if that's not what you want to do? Um, You know, consider this in terms of dating, in terms of marriage, and in the area of your work, your family, your friends, uh, what friendships are you pursuing? Uh, Is your money being spent wisely? Is your time being spent wisely? Are you maturing in your faith at this point? You know, take some time to consider where in your life you you really need more wisdom. And and that might mean seeking advice from people you know to be wise and and asking questions. And this is where wisdom really comes in, hearing answers, hearing answers. And that means often going into a conversation prepared to receive wisdom rather than uh, prepared to convince them of whatever foolish plan you might have that's difficult it may mean that that we need to speak to god in prayer james 1 5 encourages it says as any of you lack wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without a reproach and it will be given him often it means simply doing what god has shown us to be wise i know it's almost too simple um, turn with me to matthew seven twenty four. Um, it's the first book in the new testament you turn to the right you start seeing all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, it's the very first one. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 24. <clears throat> See, here Jesus is, is speaking, and he says this. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I think we cruise over that text sometimes. See, according to Jesus, the, the wise man who builds his house on the rock is not the one who merely hears his words but the one who hears his words and and does them. See, it's the opposite. It's the fool who hears these words and does not do them. And and this means that we need to spend time in Scripture so that we actually know what his words are. Um, And we need to be able to apply what we hear in the world that we live to be able to obey his words. Uh, Really, how we eat, I've found to be a fantastic illustration of both aspects, particularly as I've been looking at it lately. i found that the knowledge of what is healthy has been incredibly powerful. Uh, to know that an Oreo has 50 calories, did you know that? Um, or that a, a large thing of french fries at Chick-fil-A has 520 calories. I also have learned that I can, I can jog a mile, or, or, or walk, or actually jog a mile, and that burns 150 calories. So this knowledge starts to give me some ideas some some wisdom as far as nutrition and uh, a a form of knowledge to help me make the wise decisions and and really the next step the more difficult step is actually making decisions according to that wisdom according to that knowledge And, and that means actually jogging that mile i know that sounds crazy um or choosing the small fries instead of the large fries also does not seem like a good option uh, maybe both, since I actually need to lose weight to get healthy, um, seems like the worst possible option. And yet, the knowledge there, just having that knowledge, gives me uh, the wisdom to know what is the wise thing to do here. You see, <clears throat> being in God's Word gives us the knowledge we need to make wise decisions. Um, Trusting God and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit living according to the Word of God is, is putting that wisdom into practice. See, we must also be careful that we, that we also frame this within, within the gospel, lest we simply make wisdom just another yoke to put on our back and, and try to carry that we simply cannot carry. And, and the more we learn about foolishness, we learn that it's, it, it's not just they who are fools. It's not just them. It's, it's often us who are fools. Um, Even just this last week, I'll give you an example. Last Tuesday evening while coaching soccer for third graders, I was frustrated because the tactics of the other coach I found to be unsportsmanlike, and I didn't appreciate that, and I took great offense to this, and I opened my mouth and acted the fool all over him. See, I chose expressing my frustrations and my passion over what I knew to be wise in that moment. And, and luckily, my, my, my co-coach, Josh, back there, helped me to keep his proper perspective, reminding me, you know, it's just a game. Um, and, <laughs> yes, thank you, college student, for giving me wisdom. Uh, and, and so with much regret and conviction and, and embarrassment, you know, afterwards, I, I asked the coach to forgive me. And I still kind of felt that, that shame from that. Like, how did I lose perspective on this? I'm usually the one telling you this. Um, uh, And and yet there it was. It's absolute foolishness in my life um, and just all over this guy. And and so I, you know, I asked you, is there grace for that? Absolutely. There's grace for all of the folly that we are going to do and yet I could have saved myself so much trouble by, by exercising God-given wisdom in that moment instead of letting my feelings lead me. So my prayer is that, that we as followers of Christ would value wisdom, that we'd seek wisdom, that we'd practice wisdom, and, and when we fail, that we would confess that. We would repent if needed. That uh, Again, that we would seek wisdom from that moment forward. See, it's never too late for us to begin taking that first step towards wisdom because even if we find ourselves in a hole of folly with a shovel in our hand, there's a moment there where where, where by the power of God we can begin to to move towards wisdom. I want to close by the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, really ultimately God's word. I think sometimes we get confused when we say who wrote these words. Uh, This is the word of God, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16 Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of, t- use of time because the days are evil.